Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. Tonight on episode 53, we look at Female Prisoner 701, Scorpion, the women in prison classic from 1972. But before we obviously get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching, and Stephen, what has been holding your interest since the last show of anything? Well... I have watched something. In fact, I got a collection of films which I'll be I'll be dribbling out over the next few episodes. Um, okay. F- uh, finally, um, some of them off the off the to watch pile of things I've picked up in the past. Um, I've just finally got round to watching. And this week, <laughs> I'm going to talk about a film which feels like it's the sort of film that you should be watching rather than me. <laughs> but it's, okay. Um, um, can can we have a, such a thing as sort of art house but lowbrow <laughs> um, I think tonight's tonight's selection may be one of those yeah, but yeah I, I, please well, do carry well, on and I think you're right so I watched Tero Ishii's um, 1969 Orgies of Edo oh good what do you think of it I really rather enjoyed it so what <laughs> what struck me was we we've done a lot of podcasting you and I together and apart and and quite often we talk about people like Takeshi Maike and um or Mike sorry and Sion Sono and sort of maybe talk about some sort of of people in the orbit and the V cinema scene and that but as if there was this sort sort of modern Japanese cinema that was weird and strange and cult yeah and it turns out it's been going on a lot longer than that and this 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 tension between Japanese society, which is conservative with a little c in the extreme in terms of its shyness and its politeness and its 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 um obsession with societal norms and things like that, but in their cinema, they have always been able to express themselves. And express sort of some some quite dark ideas since back in the day. So this this was a film I think from 1969. I th- I want to say that's I can't quite remember. Um, and it's one in a series of films, sort of pink weirdo pink films that he made. Um, it's basically three stories. Which is something I always I always like these portmanteau kind of movies um, with a with a linking character. There's a there's a doctor that that takes some part in all three of the stories, and the the first story is you know it's it's a story of a young woman who falls in love with a bad sort. He's a yakuza, and he basically gets her to go into prostitution to make him some money, 
and it's all a big con job and then at the end everyone everything gets found out and there's a beating and and a blinding and some other things as well but you think yeah that that was all right that's not terribly extreme and then you get to the second story Mm. and 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 this one's now about a woman who can only get turned on by strange things like dwarfs and in a typically japanese of the time um interracial sex as well which is a little little difficult to stomach now but probably is very much in line with with um japanese feelings and that ends badly but in a kind of way that those those morality tales always do and then we get to the third story (laughs) which Mm. is just i i swear it contains elements that even takashi miike wouldn't cover (laughs) um uh, a, a, a sadist sort of local feudal lord um, who meets well the, the classic scene I guess the one that will stick with people is he gets a bunch of young women to run around naked wearing red robes while they are attacked and gored by bulls uh, um, who have their horns set on fire um, but of course uh, but 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 of course and yeah it's just like where did this idea come from the story then goes into all sorts of things which i don't want to spoil for people so you've got these sort of this escalation of craziness going on in the stories um and and you could sort of just you know i guess if they were western films they'd be very much like b movies and you know you, you can imagine stories like this getting made in america on on the, on the cheap but the production quality on these film, this film, is amazing. There, there are moments, there are scenes of exquisite beauty. I mean, there's some pretty rough special effects as well, including one of the worst pregnant woman C-sections I've ever seen. <laughs> Not that I've seen a lot of C-sections in cinema, but yeah, that's a, that's a bit ropey. But some of the visuals of it are amazing. But what really struck me was, you know, back in 1969 people were making films like this in japan um and it's surprising this film doesn't even have its own wikipedia page um, barely any of this guy's work does although the, the the director you know he was kind of important in um what do they call it they call it giant movies a sort of um this sort of was it called tonkatsu the sort of dress up sci-fi and um, but these are his hero guru his erotic grotesque and um, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, there's one about malformed men, which has, has had a release fairly recently over here in the UK. Um, but yeah, really recommend it. Really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm rambling on because I don't want to give too much away. And um, it does feel very correct for this episode, really. <laughs> We're going to talk about something from a similar time frame that does similar things. Um, but yeah, really, really weird, really risque... Um, but also kind of really interesting, and obviously you can sort of draw it back and start thinking about you know, the criticism it's making of, of a certain age of history and a corruption that might have got bought, got might have got introduced into Japanese society due to certain things happening. So there's sort of a historical context as well. If I bring the full professor into effect, but yeah, really interesting. Um, bit pretty bare bones Blu-ray from Arrow. Unfortunately, there's not there's not a lot there. There's a, there's a I think there's an article by. Um, I want to say Jasper Sharp, but it's probably the other fella. Tom so, it, oh, it is Tom Mez, actually. You're right. Yes, I was I'd thinking, say I'm sure he's he's on their books. Yeah, he is. But it's um, 
you usually with arrow collect oh, sort of the arrow do do a much better job but the picture quality is fantastic and it's just yeah it's colorful and glorious not for everyone probably not one to show your mum but uh <laughs> yeah e- entertaining and i was entertained yeah, I mean, when it comes to exploitation cinema in Japan, I mean, we obviously, when you look at exploitation cinema, I mean, it goes back to like the 1930s, 1940s, where you've got the cautionary movies and you've got things like Reefer Madness and, you know, these educational movies that are now seen as the real sort of uh, grandfathers of exploitation. You've got like Todd Browning's Freaks, for example, which is now considered a masterpiece, but at the time served to kill his career as a director. But I mean, when we look at Japanese cinema, it's normally around the sort of like 60s and more towards the 70s. And we've got things such as like the Shambara movies, like uh, the Pop Samurai movies, such as the Baby Cotton Pearl films. We've got the Pinky Violence movies, especially in like the 70s. And we see them also touch upon like popular exploitation sort of genres, such as like the women in prison movies, which obviously female prison Scorpion is part of. So while you obviously have this idea of like you know Japanese filmmaking that it's all just like Kurosawa and honorable samurai sorts, they were making some pretty interesting exploitation cinema well before the likes of Mike and Sion Sono came on the sort of scene as these sort of like uh, bad boys in modern Asian cinema. I think it's where it's sort of been more sort of underground is the fact that you sort of had to know people who had access to, you know, fan subs or, you know, tape trading, that sort of community. Because when we're looking at the films that were being brought across, it's mainly sort of like martial arts movies and like Kurosawa samurai movies, things of... They were like focusing more on sort of genre, unless it was like a title that had received particular critical acclaim, sort of raise it above that sort of... um, you know, film scholarly, film junkie sort of uh, sort of standard, really, because we have to remember. I mean, Asian cinema wasn't always as readily available as it is now. I mean, it was like uh, a lot of foreign uh, cinema. It was hard to get hold of. No, uh, uh, absolutely. And of course, I think what what, what stuns me is that these films in Japan are being made by the big studios. Um, it, it, oh yeah, like Nakatsu. <coughs> yeah, it was it's, like a big one for Triad movies. So. Absolutely, it's it's the. I, I think we might talk about a little bit about that a bit later. Mm. But it's yeah, it's it's the production quality. If I look then at say the Cat Three movies from Hong Kong, from ten fifteen years later, well they look like shit. <laughs> they, they all look like they've been put onto videotape. Yes, there's some great ideas, great stories, and some you know some big stars like Anthony Wong come come from those films. But what you wouldn't say is that the production quality is 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 superb on them. I mean, the, there are scenes in this film. Forget about yes, yes, there is sex and 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 stuff going on. But you see a few boobies. You don't actually see anybody doing anything, really. Um, but there are scenes in that film you could you could screenshot and use you know as a painting. Um, mm. There's a couple of couple of scenes in particular that are just like. Wow, <laughs> and, and I just I just don't think I would have seen that in in seventy sort of late sixties seventies exploitation cinema in the West, and certainly not in the rest of Asia. It's um it was quite an eye opener. Um, not saying it's a film we're going to come back to time and time again, um, but it has made me interested to to explore maybe a couple of other um of uh, Taro Ishii's films because he he wasn't somebody I was particularly um particularly aware of. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, obviously, you mentioned you compare, obviously, to, like, the Cat Free films of, like, the 80s and that, which is basically the same as when we had the direct-to-video boom over here. And these films were, the ones before it are sort of being made by studios, they got some sort of prestige, you got people like Shinsen Suzuki, who obviously gave us likes to Tokyo Drifter, but before that he's making, like, lowly sort of triad movies and and uh or yakuza movie should i say so it's i think it was just a sort of change in the times i mean the fact that you had the studio sort of focusing on cheaper films to get them out onto a more home you know, home sort of viewing model because i think it was really sort of the rise of the vcd around the the 80s the same way that we had the vhs and the betamax boom so it wouldn't surprise me if the, it was a similar sort of situation happening there where you had with these cat free movies where they sort of been rushed out. So and and the beauty, of course, of the VCD was that well, the the, the floor of the VCD is it can only fit about an hour on each disc, so everything comes out on two discs, or it appeals to the the shorter film, the the pink film, the um, the cat three film, which you know sometimes did clock in at about sixty minutes. But also, of course, you had the two channel audio, so you could do cantonese and mandarin everyone you know people didn't have stereo tvs they had mono tvs and you just put the um the audio on your vcd player to the left or the mm-hmm. right um and i get i guess it would be the same across asia with with especially with piracy and think they're very easy to copy so yeah i guess um these things could get shuffled around the various territories and be quite easily changed to um to 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 the languages of, of, of those different areas but yeah I, I think i think you're right i think vcd was really important and, and really odd that it never really came it never came to the uk um to the west did it at all um we're not big at um picking up technology i mean you have to look at like the laser disc mm. those those wonderful huge things that are now super collectible um there was loads that were put out for like the asian cinema but they never really took off over here I remember seeing them and never not been, being sure what they were at the time. Yeah, they're very, but, um, very, very expensive. I think they just they just came at just the wrong time. So there is there, there was a market for them in the audiophiles world. Um, Mr. Mr. Andrew at um, Eastern Kicks has got a very big laser disc collection. <laughs> He's very, so very, does the van. The yeah, van loves his laser disc as well. So and and, and I think it, I think it speaks to a certain kind of um, Andrew's also very much. Mr. Heskins is very um, he's very much into his blues and his jazz music as well. So he's a, he's a vinyl collector. So I think it sort of scratches the same kind of itch. But of course, it came out and then videotape, recordable videotape and pre-recorded videos came out at the same time and. Or, or certainly did in, in, in the UK where we are. And I think it just couldn't meet the, you know, the immediacy of, of the video cassette and the cheapness of it. Um, you know, a VCR player very quickly became quite cheap and we were able to rent them from, not just from Blockbuster. Well, we didn't really have Blockbuster then, but, you know, there'll be little yeah. individual video shops or news agents or supermarkets would have a rental thing with and the and the and the laser discs stealing it from the supermarket is not a rental Stephen. that's that's true don't tell anyone (laughs) don't tell anyone of my crimes from 1985 (laughs) but um yeah i just i just think the video disc just came just came at the wrong time but there are people who who swear by it and of course it's um it's an analog format even though it's a it's being read 
by a laser so there's a certain warmth to it and I think I do think one day I'll get a nice old style CRT TV and a laser displayer and it might be the best way to watch some of those films <laughs> but, uh, yeah but I'll have to get rid of all my DVDs and Blu-rays and VCRs first hmm. <laughs> and my video my video CDs I've got from Hong Kong which I can't even watch anymore oh dear disaster what about you mate what have you been watching couple of things, actually, which is surprising for myself, I know. Um, first off, I got to cross off a big cinema shame, and it's a movie that you've asked me, I would say, for about half of the shows we recorded, whether I've seen it or not. So, Go on, then. Good to cross off. <coughs> what was it? <laughs> I was going to see if you guessed it, but no, I didn't go straight ahead now. Uh, yeah, I finally watched Train to Busan. Oh, well, I hope you liked it. Yes, it's... Um, <coughs> I think when it comes to Train to Busan, because of, you know, where I specialise in my movie watching, which, you know, is cult, foreign and obscure cinema. So when you've seen the bottom of the barrel, when it comes to zombie movies, you're a lot more forgiving of what it is. You're not just holding everything against 28 days later, which it seems a lot of people are when they're, talk when they're looking at this movie. And yes, I can obviously see the comparison here, because once again, these is... Uh, zombies as the infected rather than, you know, the shuffling cords of Romero's uh, gut munchers sort of saga. So that was to work surprisingly well because I'm not normally a huge fan of the running running zombies unless it's done with particular, done with a, a good twist and I think this one it really worked with. I was really engaged in this story and I think the setup's really interesting and exciting as well so it was good the fact it while it's longer than i thought it was um it certainly kept me engaged throughout and you know it was a little heartbreaking in places exciting in others so yeah i'm not sure as i said i'm not sure it's one i'm going to sort of add to my regular rotation but i certainly enjoyed it i mean i'm interested to see how peninsula plays because that's obviously uh being shown as part of fantasia fest i know um my co-host kim over at movies and tea and uh, is uh, got these screeners for her blog, uh, Tranquil Dreams. So she'll be posting a review up of that. So hopefully um, it lives up to the premise. It looks cool. That's that's the sequel, isn't it? Which only came out yes. a couple of weeks ago. Um, so Yon Sang Ho, um, really interesting filmmaker because he is by trade an animator. Um, uh, oh, what's the what's the ones he did? Um, he did King of Pigs. King of Pigs, say. yeah, that is that is it. King of Pigs, and there's another um, one. Soul Station. So Soul Station is a prequel to Train to Busan. Um, yep. So it was released at the same time. Really, really good. Um, so I mean, K Korean animation probably doesn't have the same cachet as, as sort of the Japanese. Um, Gotta get his right anime, um, or indeed even sort of the, the, there's Chinese animation which is well thought of. Whereas, whereas Korean animators tend to work on Western stuff on the whole. <laughs> I think that's where The Simpsons is made in Korea. <laughs> um, but he's he's got a really interesting voice. I think this was his first. Um, I think Train to Busan was his first um, live action film. Really, really good cast. I thought I thought it it did something a little bit new. But at the same time, a good zombie movie to me is really about something else. And um, similar to some other South Korean films we've talked about recently, it's really about class, isn't it? And um, the haves and haves-nots. And it's a nice, um, 
I don't know. After watching Snowpiercer again fairly recently, <laughs> I think there's there's certainly uh, there's there's something about those two rubbing up against each other, which is quite appealing. And I, you know, it's got a it's got a large cast of characters, but you know, it manages to still find characters for you to engage in, even though our hero of of sorts, our leading man, is not introduced as the most likable of people, let alone the greatest father, and it's his journey that we see him go on throughout uh, on this sort of train ride. Uh, with his daughter is just a really a really sort of touching sort of sequence really and yeah I mean was, Gong, um, Gong, Gong, Gong Yu the, 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 the actor is is one of those hidden gems of sort of Korean male leads um, I think he um, I think he sort of started off in TV as so many of them do um, but his film Silenced which he made before this I don't know if it was the film he made directly before this but is a stunning piece of work and train trip sounds really good he's a really sort of charismatic but in a in a way that he can pull off this less than less than ideal hero i think and and you're absolutely right you know it's a story about his journey it there's there's more going on here than just fighting against zombies which is what i really liked about it um and it came out in the same year or, or in the same sort of phase as the wailing and i think the two of them just stop just gave korean horror cinema just a kick up the arse because i think it was getting a bit um a bit samey with haunted haunted stuff and schoolgirls and ghosts and yeah well there's there's a few korean zombie movies um that that have come out recently they do there's something they've they seem to have glommed on to maybe we'll uh, bring some more to to play soon yeah, I mean, I'm surprised this one hasn't had more sort of cross appeal the same way that we saw with Battle Royale. I mean, this is a very accessible film. It's a uh, very quick paced, as and um, you don't don't have too much reliance on the on fun the subtitles to understand everything that's going on here. Yeah, so I, I, I think it's it, not had that sort of breakout I mean, success. I think I think it did to a degree. I think it certainly got it's certainly been on film four. It certainly got a small. UK cinema release mm. certainly on DVD and Blu-ray very very quickly um, but I know what you mean it, it probably hasn't got that it's probably just a little too mainstream <laughs> and I wonder if that doesn't doesn't appeal to, appeal to the cult crowd in quite the same way um, but yeah I, I really loved it and I'd really really recommend you check out Soul Station um, as a as a as a prequel, um, I think it goes a bit off the rails towards the end, but it's really really beautifully put together and just just tells the story of this film, sort of the sort of st- stuff that's going on in the first ten minutes of this film that you got sort of only hear or get a vague idea might be going on, are yeah. are, ex- are are done a little bit more um, fulsomely. And it's also from one of the first recommendations for Feb of June you gave on way back on our first episode. Is it really? It is. You recommended it as a further viewing for Ghost in the Shell. Gosh. Why did I do that? <laughs> because it's an animated film, that's why. Yeah, no. I'm well, just thinking, I could... Oh, gosh, how long are we doing the show now, then? We, I just... go by Kaiju Christmases, so we full Kaiju Christmases down, so... Yeah, I must have watched that right very soon after it was released. So... Yeah, hopefully that should uh, be recording as normal now, but uh, that's going to be some fun editing there. Can you hear me right there still? 
Right, fantastic. Um, the other thing that I've watched, um, I mean, obviously, I'm still continuing watching Dragon Ball Z Super, which is uh, Winter the Third Arc. Now, we just had the Golden Freezer uh, se sequence, which was fun seeing that character resurrected and given another boost. So that was uh, fun. And it's kind of fun as also with Dragon Ball Z. It's like one of those few shows where all the characters can be killed off and then brought back in the same episode. Because of some loophole, either they use the Dragon Balls or they, another character has the ability to rewind time, as in uh, this case. But yeah, it's it's kind of funny to have a show where you can kill off all your characters and bring them back in, in either the same episode or a couple of episodes down the line. So it's uh, whenever someone gets killed off, it's getting pretty hard to like have that same emotional response every time now. So, um, but. Another series I started just on a kind of a whim, and that's uh, Azure Lane, which is an anime adaptation of a side-scrolling shoot-'em-up game. Um, that, depending on you know how many sort of Japanese um, sort of Android games and things you download, or Japanese games you download for like your PS4 or uh, your Vita or whatever um, you may or may not have heard of the series but they've just recently done a crossover with World of Warships which is what brought, brought it to my attention but um, to describe the series it's basically like do you remember the 80s cartoon Centurions? Yeah vaguely yeah you got the uh, guys and they got the um, they, they have power armor that uh, gets beamed onto them Yes, yes. And you got one's a submarine and others a uh, plane, the others like a motorcycle. Um, basically, same sort of concept. You hit, but hit with a lot more fan service. As here, you've got cute girls who meld with battleships to engage in um, epic sort of battles, and it's kind of random, but kind of enjoyable at the same time. The the, the actual plot content in here is a bit fluffy but uh, the actual fighty bits are really good in it and it's only 12 episodes and you can get that on Funimation so you can watch that for free and it doesn't even have adverts either so it's a enjoy bit of a uh, bit of fluff to sort of fill in amongst my other anime watching at the minute because I was supposed to be starting Afro Samurai but I've yet to um dig out the DVD so I'm gonna be getting onto that as well by the next episode um but Further to a request on our Facebook group, um, I also um, think I should also talk about the Snowpiercer TV series. I haven't started I it. Started it yet, Stephen? Don't spoil it. <laughs> but let me know your opinion. Okay. Yeah, I'm only a couple of episodes into the show's run at the moment, so I can't really give you any sort of swooping sort of changes. But basically, it's um, I would say it's taking place in an alternate timeline to the film. As um, basic, basically, you've got um, a police detective who's brought up from the back to solve a murder that's uh, been a series of murders have been happening on the train in the uh, upper class sections because none of them are from law enforcement. They're all you know rich people. So the only law enforcement officer is this uh, former detective who's on the back of the train, and he's brought up to the front to basically head up this investigation to find this murderer. Um, the series itself, right from the start, is sort of establishes itself as it's going in a different direction from the film. So you can watch this without having seen the film. They're both very standalone properties, and 
sort of working with the same concept that you know the last of humanity is surviving out this second ice age aboard this train with its perpetual engine that just means it continuously circles the globe and um yeah it's been enjoyable so far as i said i've only a couple of episodes in so i can't give you any sort of major sort of insights but certainly the couple of twists that we've had and how certain characters have been established i mean this has got jenna Connolly in it who's um he's never he's always good i don't i'm trying to remember a time that i haven't enjoyed a jennifer Connolly sort of performance i mean even in like blood diamond which was very throwaway but she was just supporting cast in that so no she's um i'm, I'm a huge fan of jennifer Connolly, um from from the days of labyrinth onwards all the way through hulk and requiem for a dream and so on so yeah <laughs> that, that was she was the one person that was going to bring me to watch it so i will i will I will definitely catch it. I know it's uh it's a difficult time when you're know, on Netflix. I mean we just had Umbrella Academy season two start as well, so it's uh trying to balance everything out and, and work it all in. But yes, I'm gonna get back onto watching it this week. So I was watching it as they came out and then I sort of got distracted by other shiny things and uh haven't been back to it, so I'm gonna get back onto that um as soon as I can. And um Certainly, I will hopefully have some more thoughts for you folks by the uh, next episode. Um, But speaking of new things that have been launched, you may have also seen a special bonus show that's shown up in your podcast feed. As myself and Stephen have launched a bonus show looking at our favorite film, Battle Royale, as we're doing a chapter-by-chapter analysis of the film, comparing it not only to the book and the manga, but also just doing a real deep dive into the film and breaking it down um, one DVD chapter at a time. Uh, taking our inspiration from and the guys over at the, the Deep Blue Sea podcast who are currently going through Deep Blue Sea one DVD chapter at a time. So um, we decided to do the same for Battle Royale and we're doing it as a just a little fun bonus project so some extra listening to you guys especially in these uncertain times we thought it'd be nice to put out some extra content for you all to uh you know, distract you from the daily grind and making sure you're wearing face masks and washing your hands and all the other things we're all supposed to be doing at the moment. So, but uh, hopefully you're all enjoying that as much as uh, as you enjoy listening to us on the main show. So, but uh, yeah. And we're only about seven minutes into the film. We've already got two hours laid it's... down of talking about it. <laughs> this is more of a magnum opus than I was expecting. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we've only got, we got the first two episodes out. Uh, but as I said, we will be, as of uh, recording, we've got uh, the third one is uh, currently in production at the moment. So uh, we'll have that out very soon as well. So you can expect to see that probably every couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have a new one out as we go for all 23 chapters of the film. Um, where we go from there? No idea, but feel free to throw us ideas. Um, anything else you want to bring up at all, Stephen? No, I don't think so. I think that's more than enough. <laughs> Although you just um, talk about as you're lane, I am a um, shoot 'em up some yes. my thing, and I'd never, I'd never heard of it. <laughs> you don't get many um, side-scrolling Japanese shoot 'em ups. They're usually more into the into the vertical shooter so i just went off to the playstation store to have a look at it and then i saw it was 45 pounds i thought that's not happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's also got those really questionable things that we see often in you know the these uh more games designed for the japanese market where we look at like dead or life extreme and they've got like 
photo mode or the fact that you can gift the girls presents and you can have marriage ceremonies to them and it's like why do we need these features they they just come off as very uncomfortable for us western players or those of us who I guess are on perverts it comes off as uncomfortable yeah it's like the um, it's like the Senran Kagura games which are sort of sort of third person shooter games but they involve girls in various states of undress including one which is basically set at a water park <laughs> and yeah you get bonuses for squirting water in the panty party and things like that so if, it, if it's in that realm yeah I, I can see why we, we make it becomes a little uncomfortable but yes that is that is my genre the shoot 'em up game and I was oh that sounds exciting because even though I'm not very good at them I just love watching all the ex- you know, there's something vaguely hypnotic and psychedelic about watching them on your yeah. screen, and uh, and so I thought, oh, I haven't heard of that one, and then I saw the price and thought, yeah, I don't like the idea of it that much, especially as it can make me look like a pervert on my PlayStation. Just download World of Warships, <laughs> and then you can uh, you can you can play as all the characters just uh, commanding warships instead of oh, I might, that instead might be of, right. you know, melding with warships. But it's, as I say, it's a really fun series and uh it's kind of it's kind of bizarre as well just like looking at it because the sides are very much based on world war Two. so like you've got mm. like the japanese and you've got the germans on one side and then you've got the british and the um americans on the other side and it's all like oh we're just playing this very close to those even though they're all like clans um <laughs> You've got this sort of division where you've got the uh, Zero Lane uh, ones who are just using like Earth Tech, and then you've got the rival clan, which are the Blood Axis, who um, meld with Alien Tech from these aliens who were originally sort of created to defeat known as the Sirens. They're using uh, this mixture of human and alien tech, and uh, yeah, the the character designs are interesting. Um, should we say there's some really interesting designs? I mean, at the same time, you've got some really stupidly fan servicey ones as well. But I just like how they like combine. You have some girls who represent like you know battleships and how their armor and their weaponry looks and stuff. It's all really kind of cool when you compare it to like other girls who are marked as cruisers um, or so frigates. So if you like if you like navy uh, lingo, you probably have a ball with that one. <laughs> Yeah, I just think <laughs> you made me think of um, what was it a Sex Pistols song, frigging in the rigging? <laughs> I'm just going to start a new feature on this the show. I just subject you to random first episodes of anime, Stephen, and just have people send stuff in they want you to watch. Hopefully, one will stick. Right, that's, that's the, the plan. plan. <laughs> um, that's fine. But let's get on to our feature viewing tonight. And tonight, as we mentioned at the start of the show, we're looking at Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion. Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion is a 1972 Japanese women in prison film produced by Toei Company and starring the legendary Miko Kaiji. Uh, the film is directed by Shinya Ito, who was his first film as a director and based on the manga by Turo Shinora, the manga being known simply as Scorpion. 
Now, this is the first film in the series, which uh, includes Female Prisoner Scorpion Jailhouse 41, um, Female Prisoner Scorpion Beast Stable, and there's also been numerous remakes as well. But this is the first film in the series which um, introduces to uh, Miko Kaja's uh, sort of really one of her more iconic roles. Um, Here is she plays uh, Nami, who's initially used by her police boy, police uh, detective boyfriend to investigate a drug smuggling ring only to find that it's all gone south. Uh, not only is she sort of like turned on by the drug dealers to put it in a more clean way, but uh, at the same time she finds that she was double crossed by a boyfriend and attempts to get revenge on him by stabbing him outside the police headquarters, which is not always a sensible thing to do. And as a result, is sentenced to do hard time in a women's prison, where she's given the number 701. Um, this, of course, being a women in prison movie, the guards are lecherous, there's frenzied lesbianism, and uh, there's, of course, plenty of lashings of ultraviolence to go down as well. But... Um, Stephen, I mean, what did you obviously make of this one? I mean, this is a, a film that you can chart way back to those early episodes where you were saying about how happy you were you had the box set that I didn't have until recently of these movies. And, I mean, have you seen this film before or was this one that you've just sort of come to lately? So probably of all the films that we've talked about, this is on the show, this is probably one that I've had the longest relationship with um, over different media um, I'm pretty certain I had a, a video tape of it. I had DVD of it, and you know, as well, I was so delighted to get my uh, Arrow box set, which you've now, you know, caught up with me. Um, and it's a film that I've grown to love over time. And I do think having it on Blu-ray really showcases the fantastic things about it. You know, let's not beat around the bush. There's stuff about this film which is particularly troublesome. <laughs> in uh, in 2020 um as there are with many women in prison type yeah. films but this isn't this isn't a Jess Franco torture porn thing with lots of topless women and I don't know sort of Nazi imagery going on this there's way more to it here I mean you've got you've got even even in the direction there's the things you know for a first time director he said it's almost as if well, I've only got one film to make. I'll try all my tricks I learned at film school or something like that's going on. And of course, you have the the iconic Miyoko Kaji. And what I just got to say is, I posted on Twitter on when did I rewatch this? Um, Friday night. So spoilers, we're recording this on a Sunday, so two days ago. And I just said, you know, what's your favourite? Miko Kaji film and you know I didn't get any replies but that's Twitter for you um, but I got a follow from Miko Kaji <laughs> who's um, she's she's still going strong she's got her own YouTube channel now and um, yeah her YouTube channel followed me on Twitter and I just thought it's I can retire now mate <laughs> um, but yeah it, it's, 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 it's an iconic film but a troubling film um, I don't think it's the best in the series, but like I say, it's it's the I'm, I'm I was so happy when you picked it because I think there's there's lots to say, but we do have to sort of couch it in. This is 1972. This is Japan. This is 
this is sort of B cinema. Um, and I just, I just think we just have to couch it in those terms, if because stuff happens here which isn't so, um, it isn't so pleasant. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to win in prison movies, I mean, there's this this misunderstanding that this is something that came out uh, during that height of exploitation cinema. So we're looking at late sixties, early seventies. But you can look at the genre and you can chart it all the way back to like the nineteen thirties, um, where it's with things like. Pulpy noirs like John Cromwell's Caged, uh, which is like 1950. You've got Lewis Sellers Women in Prison, which is 55. Um, and while these films are like much more timid in comparison because of the way the censors work, so you know, there was no this like lesbianisms or sadomasochic sort of violence that sort of become the norm within the sort of genre. Uh, but you know, you had still had like the girl fights and you the subtextual perversions as so the foundations are being laid even with these sort of late early films but it's as i said it's really sort of that late 60 early 70s that we see the real boom in this sort of genre and you mentioned already the things such as like jeff franco's 99 women which is 69 love camp 7 which is also part of a long line of rather uncomfortable nazi exploitation movies um and even when we look at like chinese cinema you've got like uh chi hung kui's house of bamboo dolls which is 73 and the women in prison genre was really sort of a favorite of uh, Roger Corman with his New World Pictures, and you would often have them with like his Filipino movies uh, with things such as you know the Big Dollhouse and the Big Birdcage, uh, being sort of like real noteworthy examples. And I think that in many ways, female prison Scorpion falls a lot into the same sort of traits. And I mean, it's really established right from the start where we've got the first of all we got the breakout which is really cool uh where we got uh nami and another of her fellow inmates are on the run and uh it's all during uh this award ceremony that's being presented to the guards so they're none too pleased to the fact that these two prisoners have attempted to escape while they're receiving this commendation and what follows is we've got all what seems to be the all the residents of this this prison walking around completely naked and doing sort of hurdles and monkey bars at the same time while some pervert stands under the stairs looking up at them. Um, which I have to say was certainly an interesting start to the film and kind of sets the tone of what's going to follow, really. Yeah, I, I guess this is where we... This is, this, this is, the, weird, this is the weird stuff. There's, there's this theme that goes on through the film about Japan and the Japanese flag. And they sort of, at the beginning of the film, there's this sort of, yeah, and this, our society's great, da-da-da, post-war, they talk about, don't they? And then they go straight to this, well, basically, le- leching at female prisoners. <laughs> yeah. who, 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 on the whole, seem to be incredibly attractive women. Um, you know, th- th- there's not a... There's not a spread of of types here, really. No, it's there. like you're watching um, um, America's America's Next Top Convict. Uh, it's not, yeah, <laughs> it's like the most glamorous prison. Um, there's, there's no this like um, like eighteen stone bruisers here. These are all like very glamorous women that uh, obviously have no qualms about being naked in this film. As it's you for a Japanese film as well. You're seeing you're seeing some sights. You you are, but you know again. This is 1971, 1972. Um, it, 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 it's 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 boobs more than anything, and um, but the, but there's way more going on. So much more. There's it's it's 
it's cleverer than that. Um, so, yes, there is leching and stuff. And the, I, I mean, I don't, know how, I don't know how you want to approach this. I, I'm just, I've got these scenes in my head that I want to okay. talk about. But, um, but, but maybe I'll pick them up as we go along. But, you know, there's, there's an art here which is combined with this you know you've just got you described a whole bunch of films and there's 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 a whole bunch of tick box stuff which goes on in women in prison films and this one probably gets 70 percent of them but there's more as well um mostly in terms of the filmmaking rather than the story the story is pretty not much happens they escape they get caught again they escape they get caught again <laughs> so yeah they, they have a fight with each other they um <laughs> Uh, the the the, the interest actually the, the bit in the film at the beginning which gets me the most actually is that that she's escaping isn't she and but the, her escape is held up because one of the women has her period oh it's, 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 the fact they're escaping and they've they've uh, they're hiding from these police dogs in the in the swamp and obviously this yeah you mentioned already that her, her co-conspirator has her period which I think when when you look at exploitation cinema, just expect the unexpected, and certainly that was what you expected. So of course this dog like hones in on them like a fairy scud missile, and um, we get some dog beating with a big <laughs> stick, which is always uh, yeah. is is always fun for you if you're a dog lover to see. Um, and then obviously we're we're into into the inner workings of this prison um now before we obviously get into that i mean i just want to obviously mention about uh, your new friend miko who it'd be really great who mm. we should really try and get on see if she wants to come and join us for tea and chit chat um but when she can i imagine i imagine our japanese would have to get better <laughs> um so yeah i don't know it's, it's, stranger things have happened on this show um but yeah, I mean, at the time she'd had a semi sort of falling out with the rival studio Nakatsu, where she'd done films like Blind Woman's Curse and she'd done the Stray Cat Rock series, which we really need to look at as well. That's another one we've sort of tossed around doing because we both own the box set of those. Um, and I was surprised as. Indeed. And Blind, and Blind Woman's Curse, actually, I've just realised I said that I'd never watched any films with the director of Orgies of Edo. He directed *Blind Women's Curse*, yeah. so <laughs> this whole this whole episode is coming together as one wonderful connection. So. But yes, that I mean, Nakatsu, yeah, Nakatsu decided to go all in on pink cinema. Yes, exactly. And uh, and uh, uh, Mieko didn't want to do that, and it is kind of striking that not striking, but it is kind of clear that whilst lots of people in this film get their show off their breasts um i don't think she does we do get yeah we or do, if she does we it's have, very um, subtle that, uh, the lesbian scene where she manages to seduce a prison guard who's uh who's gone undercover <laughs> and then becomes infatuated with her uh so much so that she's what she demands <laughs> to be sent back in the again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but that's um i, I think you'll find the 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 prison, the prison guard shows everything off, and um, but Mieko Kaji doesn't seem to do so much. So there, there is an irony there, but there is a story I was reading somewhere else that she originally so she left she left Nakatsu because she didn't want to be in Pink Cinema, um, and the original script for for this film was a bit more basic and possibly a bit more even more leery than it's ended up being and that actually she fought to have the script somewhat changed and so 
when we talk about this being one of her great characters, um, there's a, there's a train of discussion which basically says, you know, she actually fought to create the character as it as it is, and so this, oh, she barely says a word in the whole film. In fact, she barely says a word in all four films, if I remember rightly. Um, this sort of moody, the whole stylish look, the behind, you know, looking behind her her bangs, isn't that what's no, but behind her hair, the whole the whole kind of sort of visual nature of it is is all actually down to her and she created this character and and, and the director went with it but uh, I, I don't know how much truth is in that i have to say it's a very iconic look that when she becomes the scorpion mm. or the black scorpion depending on which version you're watching of this this uh mm. film when she gets her big revenge sequence at, at the end um it's such a, it's a very iconic look i mean obviously with the big black hat and the the trench coat and the sh- the rifle it's just a really it's, mm. it's one of her more iconic looks and it's kind of funny that she obviously does this film which really propels her to like superstar status and at the same time she does the theme tune to the, to this film as well which if you're a fan of kill bill mm-hmm. you've heard of heard already uh, much like her next role, which is Lady Snowblood, which again she does the theme song for, and again it appears in Kill Bill. So right off the bat, with this transfer of, between studios, I mean she carves in two iconic characters right off the uh, the bat, really, which really sort of says a lot from her. And it's kind of interesting the fact that she chose not to follow this this character through. She did the four films with with it and then the series gets put on hold um coming back with new female prisoners the new female prisoner scorpion movies which is in 76 so she made she sort of ran with the role for a while and and then sort of decided to go and off and do other things but it's a very what well, as you said it's okay she's not a character who doesn't say a lot but at the same time she's really got that sort of impactful presence on there and it kind of paved the way in many ways to other sort of similar sort of vigilantes when we like look at um lady vengeance who mm. i would put in a very similar sort of category to this this wronged woman who utilizes her situation to um to extract her revenge even though when we look at um her character here i would say she's much more of a sort of traditional convict than when we uh, when we can obviously compare to Lady Vengeance, I mean I think Lady Vengeance owes these movies certainly the first three of uh, the the fourth movie is is different director and it's it's not in the same stratosphere as as the first three, but I think it owes the, you know, owes this character a debt of influence if nothing else. Um, it, <sighs> It's just, it's just, you know, it, it, it's iconic. And you get this, like you say, you've got this, you've got Lady Snowblood, um, the, the 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 two visually striking images, two women who are visually striking, not just because it's the same actress, but you know, you'll find T-shirts and posters and everything. Even now, even today, you'll find these things being um, being quite common commonly used around the place as sort of pop they're pop culture icons aren't they yeah definitely so um and it's hard to say when i'm trying to really sort of place when the <coughs> sort of the um i first sort of heard about these movies because 
I think I came came to it around the same time with Kill Bill because I remember when Kill Bill came out, they put a box set out which had like Baby Cut the Rave of Sticks, um, Jimbo meets One Armed Swordsman, and um, there's an other film which I can't remember what, which one it it was now. Um, I know it's completely gone, but they the same company released um, a, a follow up box set, and it was the first female three female President Scorpion movies and it was in a really striking yellow and black box is what I remember of it and that was sort of my first introduction to these films um, and I think as well to really sort of a, a site, an earlier form of the Japanese exploitation cinema because at that point I mean it was only sort of like the Mike sort of stuff that I was sort of aware of so I never really even considered like the earlier stuff that uh, that we see here but I mean, we mentioned already. It's directed by first-time feature director uh, Shunya Ito, who previously had worked as an assistant for uh, Turo Ishii, who's probably best known for like you know *Horrors of Marvel Men* and *Blind Woman's Curse*. And here, I mean, he does a really interesting job with just sort of pretty standard film. I mean, this could have easily just been like another throwaway woman in prison movie slash revenge thriller, but we get some shots that just really remind me of like uh, Shinsen Suzuki. Oh, absolutely. Like that, uh, like, yeah, so in, there's a, there's a scene, so one of the films that when this early on, there was a flashback to, we find out how, how um, they call her Matsu, don't they? Let's call her Matsu. <laughs> Instead of female prisoner scorpion. Well, no scorpion. Whatever you want to go with. Yeah, we could call her Scorpion. I'll call her Matsu. Okay. I, I feel like I'm her friend now. But <coughs> there's 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 a moment where um, in the flashback, you know, she's raped by a bunch of yakuza because that happens. But instead of it being a sort of standard scene, it's done underneath. So, so it's done on a glass floor with the camera underneath. And so what you see is these horrible, leering, lustful men and the act you are, you're not quite being the subject of it, but you are seeing it from the woman's point of view. Which I think is kind of unusual. It's uncomfortably voyeuristic. You're you're a lot closer than you want to be to this act that's happening, certainly. But it's, it's, you know, that's that's a... That's a... really interesting and maybe off the time but it's very experimental isn't it there's loads of dutch angles and strange shots and the other one is um the, there's a scene later on but she gets into some beef with the orderlies there's a there's a sort of group of three prisoners as always there is you know the, the ones that have have raised up to become orderlies and they have a different color tie oh yeah prison outfit and <laughs> and um and they're trying to get another girl into trouble but then matsu um sort of pulls a switcheroo and then one of the girls just loses it says you i'm gonna kill you and she's running around topless around the showers and then suddenly the lighting changes <laughs> And the blood on this girl's face, and it's all blue, and it's suddenly like a kabuki piece of dance or something like that, and it's just shot completely differently, and it's like a devil woman she is all. Oh yeah, because she's like suddenly like appears for like the fright wig, and she's got the wide eyes, and uh... and and the and the way the blood has because she's, she's she's been slashed yeah. in the face, um, and where the blood's on her face makes her look like a demon, and it's just like wow. 
And I think some of those things, back when I watched it back in the day, I probably didn't appreciate as much. And watching it again the other night, it was it was like, wow, this guy was really trying stuff. Because this this is a you know, this is exploitation cinema. This is probably gonna go out in the cinema for a week. Um you know, there's no such thing as VHS or anything yet. The the you know, what's what's I don't know how much this film costs to make, but I imagine not very much. It's not as if there's many sets, are there? <laughs> there's a there's a quarry where Doctor Who weren't filming for a day. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 obviously this this prison which is more like a Blue Peter set. Um but he's doing things like that, that that rape scene and the and the sort of the, the weird kabuki style attack and there's and there's other bits as well. Um there's a bit at the end, um where she fights that she she meets up with her her loser police ex boyfriend who set her up, who's been trying to get her killed, let's face it. And um the camera shifts. It does it it, it, it does this it does a does a scene in in landscape but flipped along the horizontal and then it sort of goes upright into a vertical and then you see the scene properly and you think that's just so weird that's so but it's so fantastic and then there's this there's been this thing as i talked about earlier about the japanese flag all the time and i'm not, I'm not too sure about the point he is making whether japanese society is crap and horrible to women but he keeps pointing at but of course she stabs him in the groin uh, as a fa- that's a, that's a, that's that's almost a callback to our um one of our battle royale episodes, um, and he's got white trousers on, and the blood forms a red circle like the Japanese flag, and there's all this, there's all this sort of extra stuff going on in the film, certainly in the visuals, and I just think it it elevates it to to art rather than just a pervy creepy film with lots of Japanese boobies in it. Yeah, I mean, this is. I think this problem f- falls. Um, there's a problem with, with the film, really, where you have these really fantastic artsy moments, you've got these great violence moments, and at the same time, we kind of like screwed up with all the exploitation sort of moments, such mm. as like we have numerous rape scenes and we have gratuitous nudity, and it feels that you take it out of the film. And it made me really sort of call back to like Sex and Zen. Uh, which again had these really mm. great sort of pop samurai moments in it, but at the same time it's being hampered constantly by the fact we've got to have all these exploitation moments in it, and it's all like no, I just cut those bits out and keep the film a lot tighter, and it would have, uh... and it it just felt um, in many ways it's, it feels like you're watching a film where they've like shot shot the film and then they've gone back and it's like oh no we need to add all these sort of sequences in to make it like more marketable and it's uh, Fate that befelled uh, Humanoids from the Deep which is another Roger Corman movie where he had the film film shot by um, his female director and it was just like a standard monster movie and then he went in and filmed a bunch of like rape sequences and then they're just to like really sort of edge it up a bit but it really add nothing, adds nothing to the the film other than giving us that interesting sort of finale shot. But and this is, film again is the same. It's like, do we need all these rape sequences throughout the film? I understand it's sort of like one of the cornerstones of the women in prison sort of genre. But at the same time, it's it felt um, too sort of exploitive, and it's and it's not something I particularly enjoy watching on film anyway. I, I mean, violence is fine, but you know, violence against women, unless if it's like unbalanced or certainly sexual violence, is always very uncomfortable to watch and something I'd rather avoid having to sit through. Um, and 
Yeah, and, and we again we've spoken about this before that the Asian attitude to violence against women is very different to our modern Western view. Um, you know, us us social justice warrior types. I'm not including you in that, mate. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, we will feel it's really uncomfortable and wrong. But there is a you know. Especially if we look at like Hong Kong cinema, yeah, we, we we've mentioned it before. It's almost a jokiness about it. Um, it's thrown around as an idle threat, or if you don't go and do the washing up, I'll rape you. Oh yeah, we had that with um, um, Shaolin Drunkard, uh, where where there's uh, this there was rape jokes and that, and it's all like, why would anyone think this is funny? So, and 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 some and some of that's cultural because there isn't that sort of cultural understanding of what what it is the societies are still very patriarchal um and yeah it, it's that and, and and i hear what you're saying um i think the next two films in the series by the same director don't go that sort of do start to veer away from that it's still it's still there but it's not quite as in your face as this film yeah. i mean the, there are whole the whole elements of this like the, there's an extended torture sequences that you think yeah all right but i've had enough now <laughs> there's there's the, so at least when there are rape scenes they are filmed in a way that makes it uncomfortable to watch rather than voyeuristic to watch and um and at the end of the day matsushima gets her revenge and <laughs> yes, she although although still wants to have her punishment. I understand that so there was that, a weird that, thing. She she escapes from prison to extract her revenge to become the, the black scorpion, and then she obviously carries out her revenge and then goes back to prison, which is so bizarre. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, and and it's hard to tell because as wonderful as um, KG is in this film. It's all in looks. I mean, she's a tiny little woman as well. There's a couple of scenes where you realise she's a tiny little woman. Um, uh, but she has... And so there's no not a lot of physicality about her. Although there is, there's a great lot of style and looks. She does things with her eyes that, that are phenomenal. But she doesn't say anything. So we never really understand what she's doing. <laughs> we don't really understand her full reasoning she has a couple of conversations with a couple of characters which sort of give her some well there's some empathy with a with a couple of fellow escapees in two different escape plots and there's her i mean i'm pretty certain she we are meant to understand that she knew that girl was a prison officer and that this was just a big setup but i don't know but anyway there's we don't really understand what she thinks and feels about things, so it was a bit of a surprise that the, the last scene of the film was her walking back into prison again. So she obviously feels she's done wrong, and she deserves to be punished, and maybe she's got nothing to live for. Yeah, she, she fell in with a bad crowd, bad crap happened, she got her revenge, but she probably realises you can't go around killing people. <laughs> no. Um, another really interesting sequence here is the scene where we have the riot where the uh, mm. convicts take over the prison. And uh, this is probably one of the first examples I can see of male rape. Because the convicts um, start raping the male guards, which is, you know, it's a real sort of... Um, I don't know what it is. It, um, eye for an eye? 
I don't know if that's the right word, but... I don't know. They also start suffocating them with their breasts, so it is... <laughs> what a, a way to go! <laughs> there's, there's, there's a bit of that. But yeah, there is a bit. Uh, that, yeah, that that's... That that whole sequence of, I have to admit, I got a bit tired of that. It, <laughs> I, I do feel... It's not, it's not a terribly long film. Um, it's less than an hour and a half, isn't it? But I do think there's 15 minutes we cut out, and, and that that bit I could have done without. Not because... I don't think the women should get their revenge on their abusers, but um, it just felt like, come on, let's go with it a bit. We're doing the same thing over and over, a bit like you were saying about earlier. You know, there, there, there seems to be ex- parts of this film that uh, are there just to pad out the running time. Well, it's, and uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting. I'd say it's an interesting movie because you think you're just going to go in and watch this sort of like throwaway sort of revenge for a women in prison film, and. Um, Obviously, it, it's a lot more sort of artsy than that. It's got a lot of sort of flair of it. And, I mean, we also have the that real sort of brassy soundtrack uh, by uh, Shinsuke Kaguchi, which sort of just randomly... But at times it, at times it uh, seems it's there to punctuate moments, and other times it just feels that, oh, we need something to fill this space, and you have these blasting horn sections suddenly coming out of nowhere. And it's... The, the the soundtrack is very overpowering, isn't it? <laughs> At times, um, but I guess it has to be because quite a lot of the film we're just watching women dig holes and fill them in again. Um, oh yeah, that was <laughs> a really weird sequence. It's like your punishment <laughs> is you're going to be subjected to this hard labour, so you're all going to dig up the courtyard, and then they're digging this big hole. But um, I have no idea what they were planning to do. Are they going to? Yeah, but I, I think it was just a punishment, wasn't it? But if you that's the sort of punishment which only works once because if you think well next time they get me to dig the hole I'm not going to try so hard so I'll have less to, less to fill in <laughs> <laughs> do a real shoddy job <laughs> yeah I'm not going to do my best normally no, yeah the other thing was um, there's some pretty poor special effects in this film <laughs> can you guess the bit I'm talking about uh, will it be the questionable eye scar that one of the prison guards has <laughs> The, the the whole the whole eye stabbing thing really where he seems to have a piece of <laughs> a piece of a glass shard is thrust into his eye which magically turns into a piece of plasticine <laughs> the, the glass shards he doesn't appear to feel any pain by this and then we get a little look of it later and you think well that's not the scar he'd have had and um and then nothing's really done with it although I don't remember that really going anywhere and you just think again it's a bit like you were saying before how how much of this film's been made up on the fly how much of this is just like oh let's do that that'll be cool and then there's these elements of of high art around it but there is no high art in that special effect and you just think you didn't even you didn't even need to do it because it doesn't really mean you know you could have stabbed him anywhere and he could have been it hasn't made the guy any less of a dick yeah he was already a dick <laughs> so it, it, it had adds no character yeah that's a that's a weird and naff piece of special practical special effect i i i like i like this film and i think i like it more and more the more i watch it but i would say the next film and the film after are better <laughs> that's it's um it, it, it it's it's a good start and it's got an iconic character and an iconic performance. But I can also see that... I, I've had to grow to love it, yeah? I think when I probably first saw it, I thought, well, that's just 
silly nonsense. And it's only as I've become more aware of watching films. And also, I think I think the Blu-ray does it so many favours. I think it just makes certain colours and scenes explode. Whereas maybe on a grainy VHS, they didn't so much. I'm not even sure I had subtitles on the first time I saw it. So I probably didn't even know what was going on. But yeah, I, 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 I really like it. And I'm really happy you chose it. But it wouldn't be... If you said, let's do a... Let's do a Scorpion film. It wouldn't be this one. Yeah, I know what you mean. At the same time, I just always... Whenever we... You start with any sort of series. I always like to start with the first one and work my way forward. Mm. Um, which is is how I like to, to view things. And I think it's so many directors that really benefit from doing that. Such as, you know, you look at John Woo. If you look at his heroic bloodshed movies and we do it so in order. So we look at like Better Tomorrow and then The Killer and then Hardball. Do you appreciate the evolution of uh, of style and characters within these films oh and uh, absolutely the growth and evolution is important um and yeah i just i just you know it, it would it would be an interesting you know maybe us to look at the three the four the first four films in in the round one day but you know that's show 250 when we've Hmm. <laughs> we've got our, our to watch piles down a bit more um, so further viewing what would you put with this one if you do like it well I've got a horrible feeling we've already you've you've talked about the two films I was oh, going to talk I? about I <laughs> but that's alright I'll, I'll just bring them up again um, so more um, Mieko Kaji Lady Snowblood yeah. um, that was in my I think that was in my top 25 that's my favourite Mieko Kaji film. Um, it's another wronged woman. Um, it's a little classier than this film, um, but equ- equally iconic. Probably, possibly even more iconic. And she also sings the um, she sings the uh, theme tune to this one as well. And also, I was going to recommend um, Lady Vengeance. As I think the first half of Lady Vengeance, as um, the, the the sort of the imprisoned section, I, I'm not a huge fan of the second half of Lady Vengeance. I find that one of the most depressing and down bits of cinema I've ever watched. <laughs> but we we should talk about that one day. But the first half is kind of this vibrant in prison thing where there's a getting the gang together and and I don't know. There's, there's, I I really really like the first half of Lady Vengeance. So that, and finally, <laughs> like I said, um, I'd forgotten Teru she directed it, but Blind Woman's Curse, which to me is the film that really made a star of Miyako Kaji. I mean, she'd been in stuff before, but it's a, um, she, she's a, she's a female Yakuza leader, um, very visually interesting she's she's fantastic in it and it was like one of the last films oh, well she made the um stray cat rock films after this but that they're they're, they're they're kind of fun but they're not quite as iconic so yeah blind woman's curse as well that's your three what have you got for myself i mean let's see i mean obviously sex and fury from 1973 is mm-hmm. uh, one that would go with i mean it's a, again it falls in the same sort of issue of this where the fighter bits are really good but the exploitation bits take away from it um i also recommend checking out zero woman red handcuffs again from 1974 uh, which has got uh, miki sigamoto as a cop who's 
Kind of like uh, played by her own rules, but uh, after she unlawfully kills a rapist, she's sent to prison and stripped of a badge. So um, I think it's uh, a, another one. It's slightly harder to get hold of, but I think if you uh, put some effort in, it's a good one to hunt down as well. But uh, other than this, I mean, the Stray Cat Rock series is good, and uh, the other three films that she did for the uh, Film Prison uh, Scorpion series are also worth checking out as well, so. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think it's a good of a like mind, really. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, with these ones, it's, you sort of kind of know where you want to go with this. I mean, you could obviously, like, recommend the delinquent girl boss movies and then sort of go off in that pinky violence sort of line, but I think... With those films, I would pair more with Stray Cat Rock than this film. Um, mm. I mean, with this film, if you like the artistic flair, I would mean, check out some scenes in Suzuki movies. Um, in particular, like um, Tokyo Drifter, I think you would probably enjoy as well. It's not as exploitive as this movie by a long shot, but it's certainly got the same artistic beats to it. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we did that a few episodes we did. ago, didn't we? Um, um, and yeah. It, it's very much of the same kind of sort of experimental era where there were, there were filmmakers. I guess before videos, the cinema, the, the, the straight to video, direct direct to video stuff came out, there, and those that weren't operating within the Pinku system, as we talked about a few episodes, well, lots of episodes ago now, probably. Um, there was room for these guys to experiment, and I guess it's because they were churning these films out. <laughs> you know, they probably all took ten days to make, and that just meant actually that people got the chance to to experiment and try with things. So, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Awesome. Um, right, so that obviously brings us to the end of another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Thank you as always for listening. We hope you've obviously enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. Uh, if you want to obviously get in touch with uh, the show, you can obviously follow us on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're also on Instagram as well. Um, our Facebook group in particular is uh, really a fun hub of uh, interesting conversation as we uh, post up their interesting news articles and review pieces and uh, other fun bits and pieces. You can check out our full archive at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com and uh, on there as well you can check out the movie vault, the anime vault, the dark sides of Asian cinema, the mixtape. There's just a whole host of stuff on there as well as our complete archive of episodes, not only for this show, but also our new show, the uh, Battle Royale podcast. Um, and uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe buttons and maybe leave us a review because it all helps raise the profile of the show. Uh, Stephen, it is, of course, your turn to pick next episode. What are you going to go with? Well, so <coughs> I've been I've been I've been going back and forth which film to pick, but I knew which director I wanted to choose. Um, I think time to go back to South Korea. Um, it's time to go a bit art house again. Um, and it's time to look at a film by Kim Ki Duk, who um, his three iron appeared in our top, I think in the top fifty. Certainly was in my, I think in my yep, top twenty-five. And I was, I was thinking, about, I was thinking about um, about going to three iron, but then I thought, you know what? Why don't we watch one of his films I haven't seen, that I have actually avoided watching, and that we can watch together? <laughs> and I'm going to pick his 2013 film Mobius. Which I know has at least one moment of something which is going to make us both very uncomfortable. What but uh, if you haven't, I don't know. 
Have, have you seen no, it? No, I've not. I've not seen it. But it's just the fact no, you said this yeah, is uncomfortable in a way. So I'm, 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 I, I've been avoiding it for this reason. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, anybody who does know Mobius will probably know what I'm talking about. But yes, I think I think it's just really interesting director. Um, this is a bit art house, um, and uh, we won't have many subtitles to watch because I think this is another one in near silence. But um, I think it would be really interesting to. To, to talk about a film from from this director. Yep, uh, Kim Kick Duck, and uh, I figure some controversy as in uh, twenty seventeen, mm. anonymous actress came forward with the accusations that he's been assaulted by Kim on set of film, as well as claiming that uh, he pressurized pressured her to film a sex scene that he had not previously not agreed to. Um, so yeah, that's going to be interesting to look at. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have some stuff to discuss. But, and this um, cast list that includes the father, the son, the mother, and the gang leader. Yeah, yeah. His his films tend to operate at a level of um, minimalism, metaphor, and minimalism. Yes, but yes, I think I think I think we'll certainly have something to talk about, mate. And you then it'll be your choice, and you'll be able to choose something a bit more. Palette cleansing. <laughs> Indeed, we'll probably look at bad guy or something like that. <laughs> I would see the. I've chosen Mobius because I haven't seen it. The obvious choices would have been Three Iron because I think we both really like that film. Or, but I don't think there's a lot to say about Three no. Iron other than it's very well put together. The other one would have been back from our sort of early J horror, early K horror days. Would have been his film The Isle, which was very much in that tartan cinema tartan extreme phase that was a film that was um, released then there was some hoo-ha because because they put a hook on a fish or something like that or they gutted a fish or something like that which obviously is is a complete no-no in this world as people tuck into their fish and chips every friday um and i thought about picking the aisle but i, I just thought, yeah no i'll go for one i haven't seen and one that i know has a some some controversy around it but of course so that's obviously coming up on our next episode um thank you as always for listening and thank you to my co-host Stephen. pleasure as always and sir. Uh, we'll be back uh, next time to talk about mobius but until then good night This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.